0: Player Profiler and our podcast network is super resource intensive and we rely on premium subscriptions to the website playerprofiler.com to keep the engine running. Go there, sign up for our player rankings, Dynasty Deluxe, DFS package, or go all in. Those that subscribe are everything to us.
1: Already scared Theo off. We just we, started, scared. we scared him off. I think he had some background noise. Um, <laughs> welcome, welcome to the pod here, Dwayne. Excited to talk some some rookies with you. Some off season uh, content as well. Uh, I think Theo's, Theo's not back. No, and um and so let's let's dive in. Let's let's talk about you have your your rookie models here that you have. You just released your your articles over at Fantasy Life. Why don't you walk me through your your model, walk me through some of these tight ends and, and, and what you're thinking coming into the year. Cool. Yeah. You guys want to hit
2: wide receiver, then tight end. And we can talk running backs, too. Like it doesn't drop till tomorrow, but we can we can chat through them. Yeah, no, we'd we'd love to. Absolutely. Cool. Cool. OK, yeah. So like just a little bit of background on it. Like, first of all, like people can find it over at Fantasy Life com, So that's where you can go find it. And there's an article that has all the tiers. But then there's also, um, you know, we've got a tool and you can if you pop open tools like you'll see uh, rookie models and then so tomorrow running backs will also go up. But right now you can already find wide receiver and tight end. And essentially, you know, I just put the data in there that helps drive the models. Um, there's a couple of things I can't put in there because it's technically like PFF data and things like that. So I don't just be like, hey, here's all PFF's data, but everything that I can get from anywhere that I can share. I I, I put on there and then I explain like anything else that I'm using, but yeah, for like wide receivers, that was the first one that I did. Um, I'm super excited about it because, um, using a lot of advanced data points that we really didn't have before 2014. And really, so since the 2017 draft class is basically where I feel comfortable starting to use it. So the model's still really young, but I've also, I've always had like this kind of, um, you know, urge to want to get away from like the combine and some of these other things that don't happen on the field, not, not that they're bad, but like, if you look at any combine drill, really like none of them really correlate that strongly, like to fantasy performance, you know, even things like speed score for running backs, like it's like a 0.27, you know, correlation, which isn't terrible, but like explosive rush rate by itself correlates more to fantasy points over the player's first three years than that alone. So if, if combine things like really matter, like, Of course, I'll include them in the model, but I'm really trying to get to a point where we've got this, these advanced data points that tell us more about how the players play on the field versus really in like their underwear. And so that's kind of a, that was kind of the goal, but it had to, you know, come out in a way where it actually worked. I couldn't just force it. So I'm pretty excited about it. But yeah, with, with the wide receivers, like the main drivers, obviously projected draft capital is still number one. I don't know what their actual draft capital will be, but just using data that we have based on mock drafts and stuff. That's how I use, that's how I create that. Um, then there's some things you guys have heard of, like career and best season dominator, right? Dominator is just taking their percentage of yards, percentage of touchdowns for their team divided by two. But then um, receiving yards per team passing attempt, that's another one. But people can check out the rest, like yards per route runs, also part of it, their age, some other things. And then explosive target rate, like is really big for receivers. Um, but like after the expected draft capital, like the next biggest thing in the model um, is yards per team passing attempt. Um, then you get into some of the other, you know, more advanced metrics, but it was, I, it's, you know, close to like a lot of other people I really respect, but there are differences in the model, which is cool. Like, that's what I want. Um, and I'm real careful with it because like I said, it only goes back to 2017. So like, there are ways I could tighten the model and be like, Oh, like this makes the first, this makes the hit rates for, for top 12 receivers or running backs or tight ends, whatever the case, you know, you may want there's ways that you can just tighten everything to your model, right. And kind of make your data look good. So I, I just really tried to make sure that, you know, I was taking a holistic approach and giving the model time to like mature as we go. But, but I was very excited um, about how it turned out, but like for the wide receivers, it's pretty chalky, like the top three, right. are Jackson Smith and Jigba, Quentin Johnston, Jordan Addison. Of course the draft capital is a big driver, you know, as a part of that. But if you look at all three of those guys, um, they just grade out well across all the metrics, right? So yards per team pass attempt, they're at the very top, their best yards per team at task, pass attempt, but at the top, top explosive target rate, all those things are really good. Um, you know, Quentin Johnson is like really interesting. I'd be very, you know, I, I would love to hear y'all's thoughts on him because like he seems to be the one that like a lot of scouting people are divided on. Like they don't think that he plays really big, but like when I looked at him in the model, like the first thing that popped out to me is like, a career of 15.6 A dot, like that's really good. Like that's up in the 80th percentile. And then if you look at his explosive target rate, you know, 25%, that's really good. But if you look at his ability after the catch, like, you know, he averages over eight yards after the catch. Like you're not supposed to have an A dot of 15 yards and still average over eight yards after the catch. Like that's something you typically see with a guy like Debo Samuel, right? That runs a two yard route, and then he gets eight more after the catch. And even then, like that's still a really good number. So he really popped in the model because it's like he can get deep. Um, you know, he can win underneath. Does he have some hands problems? Maybe, but like his drop rate wasn't nuts, right? And drops aren't really sticky. So I have him as number two. Jackson Smith and Jigba's number one, but interested in in you guys and your thought.
3: Well, I wanted to say that I, I really enjoyed reading this. I highly recommend you go into Matthew Barry's Fantasy Life. Dwayne put a lot into this. It's, it's a really, really uh, enjoyable experience reading it, and it looks great. Um, but I want to say that I enjoyed how, You also put your own personal context into this. And I like how, you know, you mentioned the word Amon Ross St. Brown when you're watching Jackson Smith and Jigba run routes Uh, is do you try to put your own like when you take the model and then you weigh it with kind of your your own opinions on the players? Is that somebody you could kind of project Jackson Smith and Jigba following
2: on a career track? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of positives there. So like in the model, it's all 100 percent data driven. Um, but like later this week, I'll put out my final rookie rankings, pre-draft rookie rankings. And in that, like I do, you know, I won't follow exactly along with the model because I do watch all of these players. I will say, um, as much as I like to watch players and I like to watch film, I do trust the data like more than I trust my ability to evaluate these guys. Right. And that's kind of the part of the beauty of trying to create a model like this is you're just basically it's, it's driven by itself all you're looking for are the top metrics, you know, or data points that correlate the most to fantasy points over the first two or three years of a player's career. That's all you're trying to do. And then essentially that's how it ends up getting weighted, you know? Um, But yeah, I do watch all the guys and I like to let the data drive me like as to what I'm watching. So like, for example, if you see a player, you know, had a low explosive target rate, well, still not a perfect stat. Like if your quarterback sucks and he can't hit you when you're wide open, like, that would be the optimal stat, right? Oh, the receiver was wide open. You know, he could he could have had another explosive target, but the quarterback missed him. And you know how it is watching college film. There's a lot of quarterbacks that can't hit anybody deep. You know, I mean, heck, a lot of them struggle to hit anybody short. So it's still not perfect. So I definitely go watch. And then, you know, to your point, like I do merge those things together. And I do try to provide that context. Even if you go read what I have in the model, like you'll see a lot of things where I may even mention actually, but what you see on film is ABC. The data says this. And there's other times where I'm like, hey, the data says this and it actually 100 percent backs it up. Sometimes it's, wow, this scout said these three things like the data doesn't support that at all. But like, hey, I still respect their opinion. You know, they're a scout. They're doing their job. So um, and that's something I've thought about maybe in the future, like include like if I found, you know, a a data source that I thought felt really good about maybe including right scouting grades, you know, Um, but you got to have something that goes a ways back and you got to be able to know. How they what their process is, did it change your, you know, last year versus this year, all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot like that goes into that. Um, but like having said that back to Jackson Smith and but yeah, like I, I think he's very interesting. I, I agree. Like when you watch him on film, he's not just running away from people, which is something the scouts mention, Right. You know, he doesn't have that over the top speed he has no problem creating big plays. 34% of his targets went for 15 plus yards. That's, you know, by far number one in the class. Marvin Mims is number two at 32%. So the model loves that. Even though his average depth of target was just slightly under 10, like he still worked deep a lot. The other thing is like when you earn targets with Chris Alave and Garrett Wilson, who we saw, you know, come out and have great rookie seasons. And you were really good playing alongside those guys as a sophomore. Like that just says a lot, you know, and the model picks up on that. So it's something where I, I am very excited about Jackson Smith and Jigba. And I've, I've heard a few people. I think Daniel Jeremiah also said Amon Ross St. Brown, but I do like that name. Um, But I do think he can probably play more than just the slot. Like I'm not saying he's going to be an X receiver, you know, just running vertical routes. But I think he can play on the outside. He can be a Z. He can work the intermediate areas of the field. He can work the underneath areas of the field. And he can still beat, he can still beat you deep. Like, he still has the finesse to beat you deep. He's just not going to line up and run gassers all day. Yeah, I think that the, to me,
3: the, like, perfect outcome for him would be, like, a Cooper Cup-like usage. Oh, man. Where, you know, he lands into a situation where I think he can, he can be lined up all over the field, and I think he could be the kind of guy that some offensive coordinator
2: says, you know, this is a 170 target guy, a 165 target guy. For sure, and that's the top end in his comp range. You just have to be careful. Cause when people hear like Cooper cup, they're like, you know, they go nuts <laughs> and they, and you should, you should be excited about him. I just try to be careful with like some of the comp names I throw out there, but that was the top guy uh, in his range for sure.
1: Well, he's our think number think two, like, yeah. like Christian Kirk, even probably in like a most likely outcome.
2: Yeah. I had, you know, Christian Kirk could be like more like the low end range in my opinion, you know, for Smith and Jigba, Kirk's a little bit faster, you know, more of a vertical slot, but yeah, I think, you know, that's another guy like that. I actually talked about like in the article as well. And so if Christian Kirk is like your mid to low end, like that's a pretty good comp, you know? Um, I mean, obviously he could, you know, Smith and Jig, but could still miss. But yeah, I think that's a good one, Billy.
3: And then Quinton Johnson's in- interesting, Dwayne. I feel like we wanted to see him run a little bit faster in the 40. We wanted to see him be a little bit bigger. I think everything's kind of been just slightly disappointing in the process. And, and I think he's lost a little steam. But you're absolutely right for a player like that. To have that sort of yak numbers, I think if he lands well, I think he could be very interesting. Going a little bit further down in your rankings, one guy who's a little bit polarizing, if you talk to some people love him, some people really don't like him at all, some people are not even considering him, they view him as a specialist, (laughs) is Jalen Hyatt. Talk about how Jalen Hyatt comes through in your model and your thoughts on him.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, So Hyatt's an interesting player because he hadn't really done a lot until his final year now still like his career numbers for like his explosive target rate, things like that. um, They're all still really good. Um, You, when you watch him on film, like you definitely see the questions because like, he's always in a stack formation, um, you know, or he's playing in the slot. 88% of his routes came from the slot. Um, He was off ball uh, over 90% of his snaps. A lot of his big plays came up line behind, lined up behind Cedric Tillman. Um, you know wide outside Tillman runs the clear out and I, and it's still a plus for Hyatt like if you give him a little bit he's gone like it doesn't matter if you're playing SEC competition whatever it is like he definitely has the speed like he's faster than the 4440 he ran at the combine I have no doubt about that like when you watch him play but there are a lot of questions because can he beat press coverage right can he play on the outside. The problem with those questions is we just don't know for sure. Um, And it's kind of like Traylon Burks, but different, right? Last year, you heard a lot of people with Traylon Burks. They were like, well, he got a lot of targets behind the line of scrimmage, which was true. And that can be a red flag. He lined up in the backfield. He lined up in the slot. He had a lot of screen looks. But the question we have to ask ourselves is like, "Okay, great. Is that because Traylon Burks couldn't do anything else? Is that because Jalen Hyatt can't do more than what they asked him to? Or is it because they're playing college football and they just want to get their biggest playmaker, like all the clean looks they can get them, right? Um, So, like, that's, it's a, and we don't have the answer to that, right? I mean, if you're a scout and you get to talk to the coaches and other things like that, you know, maybe you get a little bit more insight than what we get, obviously, from the data and from just watching the film. Um, But for me with Hyatt, like, whenever I was able to isolate it down, and this was not a big sample size, but when you were able to isolate down to the on-ball play, Like, yeah, he took a little bit of a dip back, but it wasn't crazy back compared to like his peers. Like he was still functional, you know, in his offense. Um, You know, he had one really big year. Like before that, though, he hadn't really done a lot. Um, So the explosive play rate, um, his average depth of target, you know, his ability to work down the field. Those are things that obviously we know NFL teams like and they covet. And so right now in the model, I've got him with his expected draft capital is sitting at 37 and so that's definitely helping him out. Like if he goes in the third round, you know, it's going to pull him down some. But the model, you know, doesn't hate Jalen Hyatt, even if even if he gets a little bit less capital, just because he does some of the things we know that NFL teams really value. So it, but he is a very polarizing player like he is. Most scouts agree on a lot of the top part of part of uh, even the tiers like that I put together for each position. But Jalen Hyatt is one where they're definitely like all different, you know, as far as where they've got him. Like Lance Zerlund has him as his number one prospect. Right. And yeah. then there's other people don't have him till like their number six or seven. So it, it's, it's, and, and they just see him really as more of a one trick pony. I, I don't know for sure. Like he's somewhere in the middle. Like he's a boom bus pick for sure.
3: Billy, is there any other wide receivers you want to touch uh base with Dwayne on?
1: No, I'm going mean, to admit, you know, I'm not a draft analyst. Like I, I review film and look at these guys, you know, I like to have people like Dwayne on to, to get their, you know, deeper understanding of the rookies. My process really begins with rookies is after the draft, right? Yeah. I'm more of a season ranker. Um, I'll take a look at landing spot and how I think that they're going to fit inside the scheme and how they're going to be utilized inside that, that particular offense, right? It's like one of the reasons I was lower on sky Moore last year, like from a prospect wise, he was great, but didn't like where he was landed and what they did in for agency. And so that was my question with Dwayne is how much do you go back after this now and say, you've done all this excellent research draft and work to the draft what's their process after the draft once we know the landing spot once we know who their quarterback is what type of offensive scheme they're going to be in what does that process look like for you afterwards
2: yeah so there's really two parts um first right is getting this information out for dynasty and for rookie drafts Mm -hmm. and really in those like we lean mostly into talent profiles right so if you get the draft capital and as soon as the draft happens, like I can plug in their actual capital, right. And the model's updating. So that process is pretty quick. Like we can turn around and be like, okay, like we actually have all the information now and here's what we're looking at. And so when you're looking at a three, four year, three to four year window on a player, you're just going to lean more into the talent. Um, You know, maybe 10, 20%, you know, tiebreakers come down to situation, right. And where they land. But when you get to redraft to your point, Billy, it's a bigger, you know, component. So if you're, you know, Quentin Johnston, but you land on the Lions. Well, we have some questions like Jameson Williams, you know, was an 85th percentile prospect on our model in the same model last year, which is right there with Quentin Johnson. You already have him on Ross St. Brown, like you've got competition for targets with a quarterback that's not going to blow the world up with Jared Goff. We know he can support multiple assets, but like it's hard for him to support three high, high end assets. So that definitely Absolutely. would come into play and it's much more so for season long but a lot of it comes down to competition uh, for playing time competition for targets then the next factor is the quality of quarterback play right and the overall Absolutely. quality of offense that they play in like is this is a team that's projected to you know win a lot of games score a lot of points or are they projected you know to win four games and while a lot of people think oh well, that's good they got to pass all the time well like yeah but if you pass all the time you don't score a lot even though touchdown, touchdowns are harder to predict like It's hard to score a lot of fancy points if your offense sucks. You know, sometimes we get guys that surprise us like Geno Smith coming out and playing out of his mind and we get really good outcomes for, you know, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett last year. Other times you get DJ Moore playing with Baker Mayfield, you know, so um, it can really cut both ways um, depending on how the quarterback ends up playing. But yeah, those all become um, bigger factors post-draft or redraft, which is honestly why a lot of what I work on now um, is more around the rookie stuff, just making sure I've got it all really tight. And then, you know, once the draft is over, getting kind of like you are getting more into full swing with, okay, your your best best ball never stops now. But getting your best (laughs) ball ranks right and your season long ranks, you know, up to date within like the first few weeks after that.
1: Yeah, my plan this year is as the picks come in, we're going to be in the draft. All of us player profiler team at the content house. And as the picks come in this year, I'm going to be updating projections live. Um, and so my goal is to try to get those out of Twitter as they're coming in with nice. the updated projections of the players and the teams they landed on, what that target share looks like, and then you know hopefully Dario and I can talk about it on on that first night we're there, talk about round one and and get all the updated projections from those picks for any fantasy relevant players.
2: I will um, give you guys one name, like just to remember, like one that really popped out to me was Marvin Mems because expected draft capital is so big. Even though I've got him at with projected third round, like I've got him go at pick going at pick 85 right now he's the only guy in the top seven to not be projected to go inside the top 40 picks so that just tells you about how much the model you know likes him um you know he's still a a younger prospect this was like an uber good guy coming out of high school in texas like owns basically every receiving record um can work deep down the field explosive target rate was second um only behind jackson smith and jegba it's 83rd percentile going back, you know, to uh, 2017 in the model. So and his best yards per route run, right, which is a data point that's worked really well for us uh, and shows good signal for college. But it's worked really well for us. And at the NFL level, um, 4.07 yards per route run. Right. Which if you go back and you look at freshmen to do that, he did that as a freshman. Um, for guys that had at least a hundred routes, only one other guy. Like since I've been tracking this, has had a yards per route run that's that high. That's a pow- from a Power Five school, which obviously matters because you're playing against better competition. Even though Big Twelve is not the SEC, but there were a lot of things that really popped for him um, as we were digging into the data. So Mims is a guy I'll be really interested to see if if he somehow goes higher um, because teams start to you know like, you know get a better feel for him like late in the draft process. Drafts next week. Like he could catapult all the way up to number four in the ranks really easily because I mean right now he's coming out at the seventy fifth percentile. Josh Downs is projected to go forty five picks ahead of him and is only at the is at the seventy percentile. So like Marvin Mims could easily move to my number four prospect if he goes in the second round.
1: Player profiler has him as wide receiver five in the rookie wide receiver ranking. Yeah,
3: right we're high on him. I, I see Brandon Cooks with him. Dwayne, do you see a, that kind of comparison?
2: Um. Yeah, I see some of that. Like he, he's he got um he's a little bit more of an acrobatic kind of catch guy down the field than what we get with Cooks. Um, But I think I think Brandon Cooks early in his career is probably a little better, like on the underneath stuff. Right. And making people miss like, you know, in space than what we got with Mems. Um, still, overall numbers, that's that's a pretty decent comp. So I think that that could be that's a good name to think of. Um, If he gets second round capital, like he wouldn't grade out quite like Cooks did in the model. If Mims gets second round capital because Brandon Cooks uh, was a first rounder. Um, But like it would be, I don't have it right in front of me. But yeah, I think it's a solid, it's a solid comp.
3: Well, we're going to get into tight ends uh, shortly. We're going to take a little break and uh, hear from our friends at the FFPC.
0: You know, people always ask me, hey, what is the the World Series of Fantasy or the Super Bowl of fantasy football? And it's easy. It's the FFPC, the Fantasy Football Players Championship. It's a $6 million prize pool. And they've had their never too early best ball leagues cranking since February. And So the FFPC is the answer to so many questions. Hey, hey, where's the best place to get a dynasty orphan? Well, you can adopt a dynasty orphan at the FFPC. That's why we partner with them. If you want to play fantasy football for low, medium, high stakes, seasonal, best ball, dynasty, go to the FFPC. And don't forget, promo code UNDERWORLD to get you $25 off your first team. $25 off your first team, no matter what team it is, no matter what format it is, at the FFPC. Go do it.
3: And the three of us are going to be competing against one another once again <laughs> in the Hardway League, an FFPC uh, league that we get together once a year for. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun, guys. I, I can't wait to draft against you guys. We can't set a date, but other than that, the draft is <laughs>
2: the draft is looking good. A lot of the same I guys. I feel kind of bad. I feel like you guys finally had the date, and then I was like, oh, yeah. there has been like, like 15 days <laughs> thrown
3: out. We can't get it. You know how it is. It's like 11 guys will say yes, and then one guy says, I can't that day, and it's happened with like four dates. So
1: We'll, we'll square it down though, guys. It's going to be a lot of fun, but now I'm just saying I'm not available any day that Ron's available because his calendar has been so jammed a hundred percent,
3: man. Um. So I want to, I want to, uh, this is a very important year for the tight end position. This is a extremely deep tight end class. We're going to see a lot of tight ends that are going to be drafted on day one and also on day two. I think that's a, it's not my opinion. I think it's a very safe that this is going to be almost historical numbers um, you have a tight end Dwayne, uh, that is at the top of your board here in your model. That is actually one of my guys on, on player, player profiler. Um, that's Dalton Kincaid. Tell us what you think about Dalton Kincaid and how good a player you think he can be in the league.
2: Yeah, he's definitely number one in the model. Um, most people do have Michael Mayer first. They're, they're both tier one guys. And again, like folks can go check it out over at dot You can see everything about it. Um, But the things like that the model really loved about Kincaid, um, he's a better playmaker um, after the catch. He has a higher explosive target rate, 30 percent versus 22 percent for Mayer. Now, Mayer was great. Like he broke out at a very young age, um, demanded a high level of, uh, you know, uh, he demanded a, a boatload of targets. So, I mean, all these things are really good for Michael Mayer but he wasn't quite as explosive. Now, a lot of people in and, and this was my first year to attempt a tight end model, to be honest, like it's, it's, it's tougher to do tight ends than it is receivers and running backs. Um, but looking at Kincaid, you know, beyond just the explosive stuff, like a lot of, a lot of folks are like, well, he didn't break out till age 23.9 uh, or he'll be 23.9 years old when, you know, the, the season starts, he didn't break out till he was older, but like, he didn't even start playing football until he was a senior in high school. Like he had to walk on at the university of San Diego, which is like nowhere. Right. And then he ultimately moved over to Utah in 2020. So in terms of football years, like he's still model age does matter in the model, but he's actually overcoming it because he did so well in every other factor or in every other metric. So He's a guy that can stretch the seam. He's a guy that can beat linebackers over the top. Like if you just watch him against USC, it's like nuts. I felt bad for them by the end of the game. I'm like, they know this is coming. Like they're throwing the ball again to Dalton Kincaid. And there was nothing like the USC defenders could do. Uh, UCLA was very similar. So really all the things like that the model, um, that the supermodel liked, like all pointed back to the things I was seeing on film as well, which is always really nice. So I like Kincaid slightly above Mayer. Um, They're both really good. Kincaid's in the 90th percentile, 86th percentile for Mayer. To be in tier one, you have to be 85th percentile or, or above. So both are really good. I think there's just slightly more upside with Kincaid than what there is with Mayer, who could also still have a really good career.
3: You had a very interesting uh, point in your data that 75% of the tight end prospects who graded above the 85th percentile have enjoyed a top 12 fantasy finish in their first three seasons. I thought that was... One of the best things I read in, in this entire series, Gwen, um, were you surprised by that number?
2: Uh, Well, not not completely, because like we're trying to we're trying to let the data drive us to how the model gets weighted. Right. And it's based off of how they perform as fantasy players over the first two to three seasons. So like that was what I was hoping for. Like I was hoping we would have a pretty good, you know, hit rate. Um and it turned out to work to work um, where it gets more tricky for tight ends like is as you just get deeper right and into the draft, like like the top guys, it works out, you know, it's a little easier to grade them. It's once you start getting into tiers two and three, it gets a lot iffier than what we see as far as hit rates go um, for wide receivers and for running backs where I'm typically more confident. Right. And what I'm sharing like and saying, hey. Basically, if you draft a guy that's in this range, like X percentage of the time, like it's hit based on the model. With tight end, it gets a little bit more all over the place. But that tier one is still really good.
3: Talk about Mayer a little bit. I loved the closest comp for Mayer in in the supermodel. Maybe you could share that as well, because I think that'll get our
2: FFPC listeners a little hyped up. (laughs) Yeah. So like as far as, you know, Mayer goes, I mean, his closest comp was TJ Hawkinson, you know, in the model. Um, he was a guy that actually, you know, he graded above Hawkinson though, in the model by just a little bit, like he was slightly above them, but they were right, right next to each other. Um, so he's a guy that he can demand a lot of targets. He can work the interior of a defense. He's, he's, he understands how to beat linebackers, safety, all those things. And how we know he's just, he's a freaking target hog, man. Like, I mean, he increased his target share every season. He had an 18% as a freshman. That's nuts. Like you just don't see that from tight ends. 24% year two, he had a 36% target share in his junior year. He had a career average of 24% targets per route run. Um, so over his career, 28% of Notre Dame's touchdowns. And, and you guys know Notre Dame's kind of a, It's I I wouldn't say it's the tight end you, you've got, you know, Miami, other schools can make a claim for that, but they've had a lot of really good, t- good tight ends come through there. Um, and after leaving there as a junior, right? He led the team. He has the record for tight end receptions, yards, touchdowns for Notre Dame. So, I mean, this is a guy that, you know, was a a big prospect, came in, everything just kept going for him. He got better every single year. Yeah. He doesn't have quite the explosive play upside of Kincaid, which, which is what means Kincaid, in my opinion, could really give you that top two, three season. But I think Mayer could easily be a guy, right. That's giving us, you know, in that three to six range, you know, every year. And I think his low end really is. I I, I have, I don't doubt that he's going to end up being a top 12 tight end. The question is like, can he move into that next tier up? Um, you know, and get into that, into that three to six range. Like, so Lance Zierlein comped him to Jason Witten. The model doesn't go back that far, but like watching him, that was a really good one. Like Jason Witten was always a guy like, yeah, he's not going to beat you on a ton of explosive plays unless like you're playing Philly and your helmet gets knocked off, right? On Monday Night Football and you're just running down the field. If you guys remember that play, um, but overall still a really dependable target, you know, that had multiple quarterbacks that trusted him, um, you know, in big time, crucial situations. So I think that really is a pretty good comp for Mayer
3: seems like a long term top 12 uh season out outcome type guy where maybe he has like
2: a year or two where he every it all comes together and he and he can maybe yes. s- uh, challenge for top 3 agree i think that's a perfect way of putting it yeah and we saw like we saw Witten do that kind of thing right yeah, yeah.
3: it's kind of like prospect uh, fatigue with with Mayor too where people have known about him for so long and now there's all these newer names coming up and i think you know people are slightly beating him up a little bit but i think with our ffpc listeners He's the guy that we'll end up taking at the end of the end of the first round of, of FFPC rookie drafts confidently. Tier two is a lot of fun, Dwayne. <laughs> the, the number, the, I mean, it is. Like, like you talk about, we talk about Jalen Hyatt. I think when we get to like polarizing, you get even like the stylistical pol- polarization when you talk about Darnell Washington. You're talking about one of the most athletic guys we've ever seen. And why don't you talk a little bit about him? Some of the reservations you have and some of the things that that you're you're excited about.
2: Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is he was never a target earner. Right. And the first thing people will will point to is they'll say, well, he played behind Brock Bowers. But that's why per route type data can really help us. Right. In these models if we know, okay, great. You played behind Brock Bowers, but what was your targets per route run? Right. And his career high was still 17 percent. Um, that's really below the average of of tight ends that have gone on to really become top 12 guys at the, at the next level, which is 24%. So that's the biggest knock on him. He did not earn targets, um, but the positive around him like is what you already mentioned, like you know, I say in the article, like if he was to be, you know, comp to a game of Thrones character, it's obviously the mountain, right? I mean, when you look at him, like the dude's huge, he's a really good blocker. So NFL teams are going to like that. He can block in the running game. Like there were, there were speculation early he was a top 25 prospect period coming into Georgia that season, not just tight end, not a receiver, top 25 overall prospect. Like this guy was very well thought of, you know, coming out of high school, um, And he's very explosive. So like he has a 34% explosive target rate over his career. So those are catches that went 15 plus yards or more divided by his number of targets. If you remember, that's the same number I just gave you for Jackson Smith and Jigba. That's in the hundredth percentile uh, for tight ends. So Washington, even though he didn't garner a ton of looks when he did get them, he was really good. He's and honestly, like he's fun to watch. Like if you just go watch him after the catch, like. It's a problem. Like people don't people He's don't out want to there him. He, he's he's out there hurdling guys at like 265. <laughs>
3: he can stiff six arm. Six. Yeah, he, he can s- run
2: through you. He can hurdle. He has it all and he can stretch the seams. Like his average depth of target um, 11.7. So I mean that was really good as well like going back looking in the model like that's in the top 85% as well. So those are the things that really moved him up. He he is a total project, man. Like if if he does somehow take the next step And something unlocks with him as far as earning targets, which, you know, doesn't that's no there's no guarantee that's happening. But we have seen it before with tight ends. Um, If that were to happen, like he would definitely have tight end one overall upside. So it just depends on what you're looking for in your draft. Like if you're like, you know what? Screw tight ends. Um, You know, the only way I want to have one is boom or bust. I don't care. I just want to take a chance on one that could maybe have a top three upside. Like I think Washington has that his chances of getting there. Like they're not necessarily great. Like he graded out sort seventy fourth percentile in the model, um, you know. So like uh, the hit rate on his particular profile is not great, but like if he's just one of those guys, if you do happen to get it right, like it could be really good.
3: Billy, is there a team? And I'll say this, uh, Dwayne: There's some rumblings that your your Dallas Cowboys might draft Washington. I oh, saw they had him in top thirty. They had a top thirty connected. visit. Yeah, Jerry Jerry Jones likes him, so that would that would make us excited, wouldn't we? Wouldn't it? And Billy, is there any teams that you would like to see a player like this land on that would maybe, um, you know, make you raise your eyebrows and, and take more
1: notice of them. Miami. Yeah. Miami is going to get the most out of their playmakers now with um, uh, McDaniels there, right. He's going to be able to utilize them in the same fashion that utilizes Kittle. And I think that they have a need for the position. They don't really have a number three option in the passing game. All they have right now is Waddle and Tyreek. And so they have a, a large void. And I think, this is the perfect class for them to fill. I mean, we like you guys said, it's such a deep tight end class, um, and there's a need, and we saw a lot of teams not make a move at tight end during free agency because they know this class is so deep. And I think, you know, from a projection standpoint for 2023, not Dynasty, but just 2023, these, some of these rookies could make an immediate impact uh, depending upon their landing spots, and I think Miami's one of them.
2: I think Miami's a really good one because <laughs> – Gasecki was never able to get on the field because he couldn't block. So this is the kind of profile like Mayor or Washington would be guys that if they landed in Miami, you could probably feel pretty good about them right away. Like Kincaid and Laporta, like they're not as great of blockers, right? So it could be like, oh, you're not going to see the field for a year. But I think Mayor's ready for that, and Darnell Washington like can definitely, can definitely block.
3: Darnell Washington could block in the league when he was like 18, so I have no <laughs> doubt he's going to be. Mocked. I mean, if you if if anybody uh, listening wants to just you know watched from the combine, moving the sled, Washington moved the sled like it was you know a bag of leaves from your backyard. The other guys are struggling, and Washington's moving it like it's absolutely no, absolutely nothing. One guy, uh, Dwayne, who I've seen you stand for a little bit on Twitter, and I'm also a little bit excited about is Sam Laporta. Maybe you could share your thoughts on him. Your model graded him pretty high.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Laporta is a guy that like, as soon as I started researching the tight ends and started working on the model. And once I kind of figured out like, you know what things were driving it, like as soon as I started looking at him, like I knew like immediately, like he was going to do well. Um, But he's the opposite really like of Darnell Washington. This is kind of like this guy has, was not as explosive as Washington, you know, with the ball in his hands. Um, But like, this guy, the rumor is like he was getting targets when he was still in his mother's womb. Like, I mean, this guy, like his targets, like have just been there, like since the word go, um, you know, so I mean, like as a senior, uh, he handled 32%, you know, of the team targets, but even going back to whenever he had less of a, of a role in his freshman year, um, he still had a really good targets per route run. And that's been there throughout his career. Now as his, in his junior and senior years, like he really got to take, you know, that next step forward, um, and, you know, and this is a, this is a, Scheme, or this is a team, right? With Iowa, this just churns out these guys. Like his closest uh, relative athletic score comp is George Kittle, another guy from Iowa. Um, very similar size, very similar 40 yard dashes, all those things. Now, he was now, Laporta was not as explosive as Kittle was in college. But again, some of these metrics are not perfect. Like if you go back and look at really the quarterback play that Laporta had to deal with, like I was, I was terrible. Like they had a 55% um, completion rate which was well below all of their peers that had a similar a dot of eight and a half yards because t- typically completion percentage will go down as a dot goes up. And so you kind of whenever you're like doing peer groups, like I I try to use average depth of target to help do that. Um, but Laporta also was not used deep down the field. But again, I don't know for sure. That's because he can't do it because like athletically, like at the combine, he came out and did it, but he didn't have a lot of explosive you know plays in college. Now, he had some highlight reel run after the catch, you know, uh I'm sure people have seen him on Twitter, but there's one where like he jukes like five guys, you know, on the same play. So this is a program that has turned three star guys into first round picks, second round picks uh, a lot, like over the last 10 years. Um, And he really profiles similarly, similarly to a lot of those guys. So if for some reason, like his woes in the explosive target rate department and things like that were really due to the quarterback, which we just can't know for sure like he's going to look a lot better than grading out like, and he's still tier two. Like these are our, this is our top four, you know, that we're breaking down here. And so like in the model, like he comps actually to Noah Fant. he comps to Jono Smith more underneath a dot kind of guys. But like, there's a chance that he's really more like Kittle and he could still work the scenes and do some other things. And if that happened and he can unlock like that other part of his game, well, then all of a sudden you're talking about him being a guy, like we could be looking up being like, wow, like this guy likes ranked tight end four and four years from now You know, in redraft, probably as a rookie going to be tougher for him to break in. I I do think we have a chance, like what you said, Billy, for a couple of these tight ends to actually give you something this year, historically tight ends that are rookies don't perform well. Right. So they're definitely not all going to hit Um, and landing spot to your point will matter, especially for this season. But these guys are talented enough, um, especially the top two. That they they could put up a top twelve season this year might be a stretch to think they're going to jump into the top three. But once you start getting around some down around some of the names where you kind of know who they are, and you're like, Do I really want to draft that, or at least, or I want to take you know a chance on a guy like Dalton Kincaid? Like, I'm definitely going to be taking some um, some swings on him and on Mayer.
1: Yeah, there's a thing that people forget about you know this position is that it, it's it's so detailed. They have to learn not only the routes but also the blocking schemes, and there's so much more to learn from a, a rookie coming into the NFL and at that level in particular, that makes it hard for them to make that next leap into the NFL speed and, and to get, you know, in line with what's happening. But uh, there's one tight end I do want to talk about just because he's sure. from Bend where I live. Um, and that's Luke Musgrave. Um, why don't you walk me through Luke Musgrave? Got a shout out to an Oregon guy here. So I'd uh, yeah, but- love to hear your thought process on him.
2: Yeah. So Musgrave is a guy that the scouting community like really loved um, but he didn't grade out as well in the model. So uh, if you want to get in on Musgrave, like you kind of have to take a leap of faith. Um, he didn't do anything until f- his senior year, and he only got to play the first you know, two games. He had 50 routes on those 50 routes, which is not enough to qualify, by the way, for his best season yards per route run. You at least have to have 100. So that takes that away from him. And then I have to lean into really his career yards per route run, um, which really had high correlation to future uh, fantasy points relative to other data points in the model. So expected draft capital was still number one, but your career yards per route run was the next highest thing as far as correlation goes. Um, And he only had a 1.38, which was, you know, 39th percentile in the model. All the other guys above him are at 74th, 60th, 58th, 74th percentile in the model. Like, like, um, you know, looking at Laporta, like he was almost at a 60%. So that's the big thing holding him back. Um, also, like he had some explosive plays last year on his 50 you know routes, but before that, like even though he does have a nice A dot, like he's he's got the deepest A dot in the class, 12 and a half yards. Um, so he can he can stretch the seams, like that's something, and that's over his career. So that wasn't just last year, but a lot of those. You know, deep routes haven't turned into targets. They haven't turned into explosive plays. Now, could that be quarterback play? There was definitely some challenges at Oregon State. So he's one that when the film guys turn him on, they love him. Like Mike Renner loves him. Lance Zierlein has him as his number one tight end. Um, you know, Daniel Jeremiah, I believe, has him in his top four. And I want to say, um, Dane Brugler, I don't have his up in front of me, but I want to say that he, ha- he might have him in his top four as well. I can't say for sure. But. The model, just the data points just weren't as strong for him. Now, what's really propping him up, like, is his draft capital. That's how he's making it into tier three. Like, without the draft capital, like, he scores really low, um, you know, from a data perspective. So, he's really more of a project in my mind. Um, so, I'll be interested to see if he gets a first round draft. If he gets first round draft capital right now, I've got him projected at pick 48. But there have been, you know, some murmurs that he could go in the first round. So, if he does, it's definitely going to help him but he won't be a guy that I would be targeting heavily in my you know, rookie drafts. I just feel like um, tight ends are tough enough to hit on as it is, much less to try to hit on with a profile like this, especially given some of the receivers and running backs that are kind of going in the same range. Now, ADP can change everything. If all of a sudden he falls a little further and ADP becomes a better deal, you know, then I would be more in on Musgrave. But where he's going right now in drafts, there's just guys at other positions that I'm tending to lean into.
3: Look out for Cincinnati at the end of the first round. I think they're very much in play for a tight end and that that kind of fits their their prototype. Um, Dwayne, is there I know you mentioned Marvin Mims as a guy that you wanted to circle um, from the wide receivers. Is there a tight end maybe below tier two that interests you that maybe you're going to be keeping an eye on? Or is it pretty much those
2: top guys for you? It's mostly those. I don't have a Mims per se, but I will say Tucker Craft out of South Dakota State like he really scored well across all the metrics but because he didn't play against power 5 competition like he didn't even play against fbs competition hardly um you know the model downgrades for that had you know had he done had he put up the numbers that he put up at that school at a power 5 school like he would have been a high end prospect now there's no guarantee he would have done that right and that's why it's adjusted in the model because we typically see when you play against lesser uh competition like your yards per route run all those things are higher so you have to adjust for who you played against um but i will say like he scored highly across everything so i mean that's like when you look at it like if you go look at over on fantasy life like they're color-coded blue is good red is bad like it's pretty much a sea of blue for tucker craft like he's a young prospect probably going to get a third round get third round capital uh yards per route run for his career were really good best yards per route run um, all those things really stacked up well for him, Probably a guy that'll take a little bit more time. But if you're in a dynasty league that's like, say, tight end premium or something like that, like our FFPC friends, um like he's he's a guy that I definitely would keep, you know, on my radar once you probably get into like third, fourth round of your rookie drafts, depending on, you know, your roster construction and what your needs are. yeah, for tight end premium, I've talked
3: about this on the Sonic Truth Pod. This is a class I'm going to really be embracing, but you don't want to double tap for FFPC. Yeah. like pick a rookie. Run with it. You don't want to have multiple rookie tight ends on your dynasty roster, especially a shallow format like FFPC. Um, wanted to follow up on this rookie tiers. Uh, when is this dropping, Dwayne, for the uh, running, for, backs,
2: running backs? It drops tomorrow. So, yep. so, it's, so the very model exciting. will be up and the tiers, yeah.
3: And now why don't you talk about how you, how you worked on your model in regards to running backs?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so with running backs, similar to the other two, like I really let the data drive the way the waiting worked right Um, and you know just looking at the running backs like it became you know pretty clear like early on um, that adjusted team yards um, so adjusted total yards per team attempt so all that is just to make it simple is you're taking a player's rushing yards you're adding their receiving yards but multiplying it by two because in fantasy right we care a lot about PPR we care about receiving yards And so you're taking that times two and then you're just dividing it by the team attempts. But what this model does that a lot of others don't is I get rid of scrambles. I do not count those towards rushing plays because in college teams do that. A scramble counts towards a rushing play, but it's not really, you know, a rush play. So dominator and things like that don't include scrambles and also sacks count as rushing plays in college. So I remove all of those. This is just purely on designed rushing um, attempts. And then obviously targets are still targets. They're the same no matter whether you're in you know, college or you're in the NFL. So um, that was a very big driver. That was second after draft capital. Um, then you had the explosive rush rate, which is carries of 10 plus yards divided by your number of carries. Um, that actually correlated more highly uh, to fantasy, future fantasy success than things like speed score. A lot of things that you see in different models. Um, and again, this is still early. This data is only back to the 2017 class. So We'll see what it looks like in the, in the next couple of years. You know, will those things continue to really show a strong of a sig- of a strong of a signal, but it's really looking good so far. And the missed tackles force. So things that we've seen be sticky and it makes sense, right? To the running backs at the NFL level, things that we've seen them consistently kind of stats they own, if you will. And then as they start to get older, the things that start to drop off and go away, um, obviously, uh, Targets kind of go into it, too, but I didn't really overweight that because really the adjusted yards accounts for that by giving them basically the 2x factor on the receiving yards. But those are some of the main things. And I was a little. I just you know, I think it was just so hyped up, but like there are still some really, really good prospects and we're going to have several guys that get really good draft capital, which draft capital still is the number one driver, I will say like out of all the models I've created um, used to wide receiver was the strongest without draft capital doing this new process that I've put in place this year Um, running backs. It's it's the strongest, even when you remove draft capital um, which I found really interesting. So for example, even if you take draft capital 100% out, you don't include it at all. And you just use the other factors that I have in the model weighted appropriately Uh, of the guys that have gotten over the 80th percentile going back to 2017 75% of them have gone on to be a top 24 back 63% of them have gone on to have a top 12 season. And this is in their first two to three seasons. And then um, 56% of them have gone on to have a top six season. So that actually outperforms draft capital by itself, like over this stretch. Um, So like, I'm, I'm super excited about what's going on here with the running backs. And, And again, the caveat is it's, it's, it's a short runway of data here. And so these things will change some on us as we continue to add to the data set over the coming years, but really, really promising over the, you know, over the data that we have. And we have two guys that grade above that 80th percentile in the model, one right at the 79th percentile and another right at the 77th. So um, there's some, there's some guys here at the top end that could do really well.
3: Well, the one guy who's obviously at the top of every ranking is, <laughs> yeah. is you know, before we even dive into them in your model, Billy and I have been talking to a number of our guests, and also, you know, debating with one another here on First Class Fantasy League about where Bijan Robinson should be being drafted. Um, in you know, in in the never too early FFPC, in in you know, pretty much any early setting. Right now, he's going right around that one two turn. Is that a place that you'd be comfortable drafting
2: him without knowing the landing spot? I think there's obviously risk with the landing spot because we just don't know. Like, what if he lands? You know, for some reason with Saquon Barkley, like I mean, we just don't know. Don't like, even that, put that out there, Dwayne. The, right. Come on, man. Come on, man. <laughs> well, you know how this goes. We to yeah, that really would wrong. you're gonna make me sick, guys. You're gonna yeah. make well, me. sick I, I don't want to make you sick. So most landing spots, I would not be worried. I, there you I, go. I know the word generational gets thrown around probably too often, but like he really is. He's a generational yeah. prospect. Like he great. He broke the model basically. He's at the hundredth percentile. Like going back to 2017. Um, you know, and even if you want to include, you know, if you want to go back and look at uh, like McCaffrey, Camara, all those guys that are included, like he's above all of them, um, above JT, who was in the like 92nd percentile in the model. So like Bijan really does do everything. Um, his uh, career adjusted total yards per team attempt, like is 80th percentile for his career. Anytime you see a running back or any player really in across the positions we've talked about, that scores so highly. That means they did really well, also, right? It's counting. You're getting double signaled there. They, they came in and played as a freshman, right? And they played really well. And then they're getting better in their junior and senior season. So um, this is a guy that just popped like, in, in the metrics that matter the most. Now we'll see where he goes in the draft. Um, you know, there's rumors he could go as high as nine, right? We could see him land with the Falcons. Like if he lands there, like he's absolutely worth it. Tyler Algier will never see the field again. Like <laughs> it'll just it- be over. Um, you know, we say that it's Arthur Smith. Oh, God. I shouldn't like if, have said that. I feel if like I Bichon, something. if
3: Bichon lands in Atlanta, <laughs> we've been talking, he's going to lead. Atlanta. He's going to lead all running backs in, in carries like Arthur Smith. That's, that's like a dream right there. Um, so I agree with you. I think, I think if Bichon lands in Atlanta, which I'm, I think it's going to happen. And so does Cody
2: Carpenter. Um, I think that's point, a great landing. Two, nine missed tackles force. That's hundredth percentile in the model. Like, like he just was popping in everything. Um, you know, you want to look at his average yards after contact over his career, four point four yards. Um, you know, so I mean, that's in the looking at it right now. Like, my I've been staring at this all day. Like, my my eyes are about to go cross-eyed. Seventieth percentile. It's like, hey, he just does good in everything. And then, like, he was, you know, he wasn't a, a a huge target earner, but he was really good, like on the targets that he had. You know, so I mean, he his his career total design yards per game is one hundred and thirty six. So that includes his you know his receiving. Um, the guys that have gone over 135, like since 2017, it's like a freaking who's who's list, man, of fantasy performers. You got like Christian McCaffrey, um, Jonathan Taylor, uh, like every one of the guys I could name, like have gone on to be really big fantasy producers. There's just like so many things that he hit on that I was just like, okay, like this is just no doubt. Uh, I mean, obviously the, the, you know, he graded out at the hundredth percentile. So the data, you know, agreed, but like he's. Yeah, he's amazing, um, but I have no problem taking him there. Um, even though there is some risk, on depending where he lands, I, I do think that Bijan's good enough uh, to force his way, you know, into pretty much any backfield in the league. Obviously, we'd like him to land somewhere where he can just rip the whole job away.
3: He's the chosen one. I think that you also are rooting for him not to kind of dust or or devalue a running back who's very good. Like if he lands in Dallas, it's just absolutely catastrophic for for Tony Pollard. Oh, that yeah. sort of situation uh, we're trying to avoid as well. But the second back is a guy that I'm I'm a really big fan of. But there is some polarization with Jameer Gibbs. He was 199 pounds at the combine. He ran a blazingly fast 40. He catches the ball extremely well, but people are concerned about that weight. Maybe talk about Jameer.
2: Yeah. <laughs> So with Gibbs, I mean, you got to go back, like, look at McCaffrey. He was 205. So he's not really that far off from that. Um, you know, I mean, 199, the, the model does count weight for running backs. So it's in here. But even at the 199, he clearly grades out second, and he's at the 83rd percentile. So he got over that 80th percentile that we talked about. Um, and even though he ne- he did not ever really carve out this huge role in the run game. So like his, if you look at him, like compared to like, you know, uh, You know, Bijan, for example, like Bijan, his best year where he, you know, designed rushing attempts percentage from a team standpoint was 61 percent like Gibbs's high was 43 percent. So clearly you also potentially had, you know, coaching staffs, you know, because he started off at Georgia Tech, then he moved over to Alabama, Alabama as a junior. Were they holding him back because of that or was it more due to a rotation with other guys? We don't know, but it kind of lends itself to the narrative, right? That, well, he's one hundred ninety nine pounds and maybe he was playing lighter than that. And so they really wanted to save him. But the big thing for him is he comes through in such a huge way uh, in the receiving department. So like one thing that, you know, we love are these explosive receiving backs. And like Jameer Gibbs checks all the boxes, you know, from that perspective. Um, Like if you look at his yards per route run, man, for his career, this dude's career yards per route run over college 2.47. That's that's insane. His best is a 3.24, 20% of his targets went for a 15 plus yard reception. That's uh, fifth. That's the average, right? Going back to 2017 for guys that have been at the combine is 15%. So he's well above that. Um, Miss tackles force. He's really good. Um, yards after contact, just okay. So he might not ever be a true inside runner, but you know, people did say a lot of the same things about Alvin Kamara. They said, Hey, he's a guy that likes to get to the edge. Um, not a guy that can really run inside. Now, Kamara weighed more than Jameer Gibbs, but he still comes up in the comps, um, just because Gibbs was so good, you know, in the receiving game. Like if you look at his targets per route run um, for his career, twenty five percent. You know, so thirty three percent is where Kamara was at for his career. Uh, Christian McCaffrey was at twenty seven percent, so he's right there beneath those guys. Aaron Jones, another nice comp for him, twenty four percent. So, like, he's just in the range of too many really good names. It'd be one thing if he weighed, like, 185, right, 190. It becomes much more problematic. But at 199, like, he puts on, you know, a few pounds in the league. He gets to 205. I just – he's too good, man, (laughs) for me to worry about it. And he did it against big competition. Like, this guy played against all power five schools, um, and he was ripping it. So, I I really like Jameer Gibbs. Um, He's a distant second, obviously, in this class because we have a generational player like Robinson – but Jameer Gibbs, like even if you go back and look at him, um, you know, last year, like he still really grades out well. It's not easy to get over this 80th percentile. So I don't I, I have heard some people say, well, we're starting to not really think the class is very good. And that's the only reason Jameer Gibbs is getting so much hype at like the number two spot. But I, I don't agree with that. I think he actually his profile stands on its own, um, even if there were a two or three. Other really good backs in this class, like he would still grade out well, you know, and based on the data points that have correlated to high and fantasy success early on in their careers at the NFL level.
1: Well, Billy, as long as he doesn't land inside of Arizona where he has to pay for his own meals, he'll actually put on a couple of pounds, being able to eat whatever he wants on the other teams. <laughs> yeah, he could lose. He could lose weight there, right, Billy?
3: Exactly. Well, yeah. Bill, Billy, I had a follow up for you. <laughs> is you you're you're doing the projections on the fly in the NFL draft. Where are some landing spots where a pass catching back like Jameer Gibbs is going to move up um you know, considerably well? Where are a couple spots where, you know, the chargers he's been mentioned to as an Eckler replacement. Maybe some other spots that would get you really excited, maybe a pocket passer looking to check down to a player like Gibbs?'
1: Um, <sighs> there's, there's a few. I mean, there's so many. I mean, we've already talked about Atlanta, but I think Atlanta just needs a back in general. I could see Gibbs being successful there as well. Um, <clears throat> you could see the chargers looking to potentially replace Eckler as he's wanting, looking for that contract and he would kind of slide in as that not necessarily as a, an immediate impact for year one, but could make an impact here on the field year one, but not as the splash we'd want. Um, Kansas city becomes interesting because we know they want to move on from Clyde Edwards, to and we saw Isaiah Pacheco last year. Uh, you know, there's no jerk McKinnon. So it opens up that opportunity. Um, there's a few, and this guy's that- the
2: opposite of Clyde Edwards, Yeah,
1: exactly. like yes. Edwards Alaire was
2: not an explosive playmaker. Um, um, did not earn targets at the same level. Like you could see Gibbs actually, you know, you don't want to comp him to somebody like Jamal Charles because he was an absolute beast, but you could see Andy Reid returning to his roots of, Oh, I actually do like having a back that I can just, you know, do everything with. Like I could totally see that being in the cards for Gibbs. If he landed with Kansas city, I know a lot of, NFL truthers won't like it because they feel the chiefs already wasted a late first round pick on yeah. CEH a few years back. And I get that, but I mean, there's a good chance Gibbs goes in the second round. If he did slide and Kansas city made a move to get him. like for fantasy purposes, we would absolutely freaking love it.
1: Yeah, probably the most likely outcome, honestly. And I joke around about Arizona, but you look at their backfield and they they're missing that pass catcher. right now, we know James Conner's is not going to withstand the test of time. And, and since they lost or they got rid of Edmonds, they've kind of had a void at that position. The pass catcher, they need that lightning to the, the James Conner Thunder, in my opinion. Um, there's a handful of teams, in my opinion, that have a lot of opportunity to pass, pass catching role. Um, Those are just a few off the top of my head.
3: And then, Dwayne, you're, just to follow up on Gibbs here, so targets are earned and offensive coordinators oftentimes scheme um, dictated by their offensive talent. Do you think Gibbs is the sort of talent that's going to make an offense coordinator scheme for him. Like for example, would you get nervous if he landed with maybe a scrambling quarterback who hasn't shown the willingness to check down to running backs? Do you think he's just good enough to kind of change the way
2: things uh, people do? Um I mean, I think that can always be a risk, right? Um but when you start looking at the receiving back comps that he has, most of those guys have gone on to change the way coordinators think about him. Now I will say there are some people that have watched this film that say that he's just not on their level. Um, So uh, that's a possibility. But his numbers say that he's right there. You know, he's slightly below those guys. So that can still be a a fair comment. You know, so like Jay Moyer, uh, I was chatting with him the other day about it, you know, on Twitter. And he's somebody that I respect. He actually talked about ETN, even though a lot of his college data and everything looked good, that he had concerns about him in the receiving game. And they were different than Gibbs, who he thinks is a lot better than ETN. But he said that he didn't think that he was on the same level, right, as some of those guys. So um, I lean more into the data like, uh, you know, that's that's how I built this thing out. But there are certainly people that, you know, question, can he really hit that top end like some of those other guys? But again, like Aaron Jones, like is another really good example, right? Jones wasn't isn't quite on the same level as those guys as a receiver at the next level. But, uh, you know, he's a guy that can still really demand targets when he's given the opportunity. Now, does his coaching staff prioritize him? No, they've never prioritized him the way they should. So he would kind of be the comp where it's like, wow, maybe another team doesn't fully unlock his receiving potential because Aaron Jones could probably be more in the range of being like, you know, a CMC fantasy wise, a CMC. Right. Or even being more like a Camara if they would just truly let him handle all the passing down. So it's it's always going to be a wild card, like Billy said, like the landing spots, you know. Are, are a challenge but based on everything i've seen i i think you gotta i would bet more likely on him being able to change a coordinator's mind and really get himself involved i think he's good enough that even if he lands on a team that's got two or three good receivers he's still going to get targets right where a lot of these guys you land somewhere that's got two or three good receivers even if you caught balls in college it's like well we really don't need to throw the ball to you um just because we've got options that are further down the field that are open all the time um so i i think that he's good enough though to demand those looks so we're, we've crept up on an
3: hour here. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, this, I could talk to you guys about this for like three hours here. Um, it's, it's, it's great having your opinion on these guys, Dwayne. It's just awesome. Um, your your number three and number four are pretty chalky. Maybe you could give us a quick lightning round on Zach Charbonnet um, and Devon A-Chain, two guys I'm really high on. But I really want you to touch on number five in your model because that really opened my eyes and he has shares your first name.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Charbonnet is like, he's got the size that the NFL teams want, right? 222 pounds. He's um, you know, six foot tall. He can, he handled seven. He got 70% of the team's design rushing touchdowns last year for UCLA. He actually started off at Michigan first, first two years Then the last two years he played at UCLA, but he's a guy that can give you the carries inside the five, right? Not, not like the best tackle breaker, but solid. So you could, you, For him, landing spot, like you want him to go somewhere where that that role to score the touchdowns is open. He's basically average as a receiver. If he landed on a team where they only had one good wide receiver, he could probably catch some some check down passes. Right. He's not going to be a guy that works down the field in the passing game. Um, So I think those are that's a that's a challenge for him where landing spot is going to matter more. But he ranked at the 79th percentile, just barely missed that 80th percentile. So, like some names that come up, like in his comp group, you've got, um, you know, looking at Cam Akers, um, you've got guys like Ramondre Stevenson. Ramondre Stevenson had a better receiving profile, though, in college than he did, um, but they came out really close uh, in the model. So, those are some names to think of with him. And then with A Chain, like, man, like, very explosive player. 20% of his carries went for 10 plus yards over his career. Um, you know, was a big part of the A and M offense. Like, if you look at Dominator, he was really, you know, he did really well there. This is another guy that's young, but he is at 188 pounds, and so the model, you know, he is getting downgraded because of that. Like, if he was, if he weighed 199 pounds, you know, like Gibbs, he would be ranked closer to Gibbs. That's what's getting him um, here. And some would argue, right? Like, he maybe shouldn't even be this high. Like, I think there is a question at 188. I have much more of a question about him. Then at 199 but weight is a factor in the model, but it's not a hu- it's not weighted super heavily, you know? So one thing I was kind of toying around with like for next year is maybe basing things like age and stuff more on thresholds and where you get like a deduction of so many points versus it just being like um, a factor in the model. So it's something to think about in the future, but everything else about A-chain is really good. And then, yeah, and so those two guys are in tier three, Bijan's tier one by himself, Jameer Gibbs tier two, then you have two tier three guys and then um, tier four, at the top of it is Dwayne McBride. Um, he doesn't spell his name the same as me, so I couldn't give him extra bonus points, but it is, you know, the same first name. So um, smaller school. So he gets a deduction from that. Um, but like, wow, like as far as just pure rushing ability, like graded out really high across the board. Um, 20% of his uh, carries went for 10 plus yards. Uh missed tackles for. So remember Bijan was at the 29th percent was at 0.29 and was at the 100th percentile. So he grades out really well there. Um, Yards after contact, number one in the class, 4.93. Now, again, did not play against power five competition, which is why ultimately his grade gets downgraded at the end, because it is easier to do those things when you're not playing against as good of competition. Um, Still a young guy will only be 22 years old when the season starts, uh, you know, for his rookie year. Um, the downer on him is just did not do anything in the passing game. So his career targets per route run 6% and coaches didn't want him out there running routes either. His career routes per drop back or route participation, 22%. So um, that doesn't mean that a guy can never do that. Right. Um, So you still see some exceptions to that, but overall, typically if a guy's not involved in the passing game in college, a lot of times he won't be at the NFL level. So that's the big thing on McBride playing. You know where he did at UAB and then also not having the the catching or the the target demanding prowess like that. Those if he had those things like he would really rank highly, (laughs) you know, in the model, Uh, he he does come out really well. What if he had your hair? How, How much higher does he go up in the model? Oh he'd man, break, I, he'd, he'd probably break it. He'd be yeah, shot. Could, level. Yeah. Well, he could go down, like depending. Like, I mean, that could like you know, that could like you know create more wind resistance. Like I guess, yeah. like if he didn't have a helmet on, like when it he's running messes at the with the aerodynamics. Yeah, yeah, like there's just too much wind resistance.
3: It's not it's not 43540 hair.
2: I mean it, it works, but it's just not yeah, I would have to have a burr. I would have to go with Ian's haircut. There you go. There you
3: go. <laughs> uh, this was this was our first all rookie show,
1: Billy, and I think this was awesome. This was a lot of fun today. It was great. Like like I said, I, I love being able to talk with people like Dwayne with Rookies, right? Because like I've said before, I'm not a draft analyst, right? And it's it's nice to be able to have people come on that I can trust, that I can relate to and look at their process, right? I think it was Matty Kiwum who who mentioned this in or Somebody mentioned it from our network inside one of their podcasts was saying that it's okay if you don't have, you know, maybe the the ability to be a great rookie prospect, um, you know, analyst. But if you can have people that you trust and that you know are creating a process and who have a process and to entrust that process to them, you know, that's what's important here. And there's, you know, people like Dwayne, people like Cody, who I trust in this business, who I, you know, relate to and go off with their information. And then of course, once they land, build upon my process. And so thank you, Dwayne, for coming on. You know, a lot of good information helps, helps me as a ranker as well. Um, to understand the players and and to be able to m- more um, accurately project them once we know their landing spots.
2: No, and Dwayne, man, I, pre- I appreciate yeah. you guys seriously. Like you, you guys know I love coming on with you. I know you guys, <clears throat> you play all the time. Like we all kind of came up from the same background. Like we just we loved playing fantasy football. We like playing mid and high stakes stuff. That's how we all ultimately really met right and then we connected you know through content and things like that so i always enjoy coming on the shows where i know like i know you guys are hardcore like you're going at it and i know like billy like you don't just do rankings to do them like you're gonna draft based on the way you ranked and the way the way you rank and obviously you know you're really good at it you scored really well at it so i appreciate you guys having me on it's awesome
3: and Dwayne, tell everybody where they can find your stuff and also about the podcast you're putting out
2: Yeah, absolutely. So you can find all the written content over at fantasylife.com. You can also find the models there under tools. And then if you want to check out our YouTube channel as well, like I'm constantly every week putting out new videos about the rookie prospects, breaking all this stuff down on YouTube. And then I've got two podcasts per week, one with Marcus Grant from NFL.com. And then I've got another one with a guy you May have heard of before. Ian Harditz is now over at fantasylife.com and then Ian also does another show with Chris Allen. So we've got multiple podcasts going. We've got Peter Overzet over there putting out short videos. You're getting re- you get really informed, and with Pete, you also get the laugh. Like so, that's something I don't give you guys. So I'm always <laughs> jealous of Pete and his jokes. They're always great. And then we also have Kendall Valenzuela, um, and she's amazing too. Like so, she's been putting out short videos. Um, so yeah, we've got the whole team churning out content. A lot of it's super focused on the draft right now. And then like you guys said, like once we know all the destinations, like the real fun is going to begin a hundred
3: percent. And Billy and I are back tomorrow with Jared Smola of draft sharks at three thirty at our regular time. And then in one hour, I'm going to be on the Sonic truth dynasty podcast special. We're doing the mock, the rookie mock draft to end all rookie mock drafts. Uh, we have Scott Connor. We have Jax Falcone. We have Cody Carpenter. We have Memphis young, uh, we're going to end the pod, father, of course, and we're going to get after it. We're going to do a three. We're going to attempt to do three rounds. I, I got to preface that. It could be two rounds. Let's see how long <laughs> it goes, but we're going to attempt to get through three rounds. It's going to be awesome. Uh, Billy, do you have the dominator this week?
1: I do. Matt and I are back on Friday. Uh, it's going to be five o'clock Eastern, and then we're looking forward to that. And then next week, all of us will be at the draft. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot of our recordings at the draft, um, bringing you live content from um Kansas City. We're going to be eating barbecue. We're going to be drinking beer. We're going to have fun. We're going to do projections live. Yes, I will be drinking while I do them as well. Uh, It'll be a lot of good times. So thanks for tuning in, everybody. We will see you back here tomorrow with Smola. Have a good night.
0: Be sure to subscribe and activate those alerts so you get notified as soon as new videos drop. And be sure to check out playerprofiler.com. We have all the tools for you to dominate every type of fantasy league. We have a draft kit, Dynasty Deluxe, Data Analysis, DFS Dominator, and don't forget the player rankings to rule them all.